Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Markets, speculation, and risk. This is the Chat with Traders podcast, hosted by Aaron Fifield. What's good, folks? Welcome to the show. This is Chat with Traders 204, featuring Brian Lee. Three years ago, Brian, a former esports gamer, took a leap into day trading equities. Having since developed a talent for shorting the backside of inflated moves, Paired with a great emphasis on risk management, Brian has experienced tremendous growth both financially and in terms of market knowledge. In this chat with Brian, we go over his first year challenges and overcoming such challenges, the time he lost it all and how he bounced back, Brian's most frequently traded setup, and a detailed discussion about the use of R as a risk model, plus more. As you'll hear towards the end, besides sharing his thoughts and comments on Twitter, Brian has also published several blog posts which are worthwhile reading and he occasionally uploads videos on his YouTube channel. Links to all of the above can be found at chatwithtraders.com slash 204. And now, coming to you from California, here is Brian Lee. Before trading, you were a pro gamer for around about 10 years, I believe. That must be like the dream job for so many teenagers out there. Um, What was that like? Well, it was really, really interesting uh, because I dropped out of university to pursue it and it gave me a lot of opportunities to travel around the world. So um, at a young age, I was able to visit like Korea, China and Sweden, just all these different places I thought I'd never be able to go to. So the experience of, in, in of itself was really nice. And it's really fun to play in a team environment because there's a lot of camaraderie. Like a lot of the guys, I love meeting with them at the hotels and everything. And um, it was just like a, a lot of fun. And in a lot of ways, it was similar to kind of what I would imagine being like a rock star is like, because <laughs> wherever you go, like people want to get signatures and take pictures with you. And it was kind of a rush. And Actually, like when I quit playing pro gaming, um, I was wondering, like, how could I find something to replace it? Like, there's all the highs are really high and everything like that. And 
trading was like one of the only things that really, really matched it in terms of how passionate I could be about it and how I felt about it. And I really loved how it was mirroring that like competitive aspect in a lot of ways, but just as if you're just a single player in the team. So when you were going to these other countries, were you playing like competing in front of a live audience? Yeah, a lot of times they would book out venues, sometimes actual like basketball arenas, and then they would just fill it, fill it out and have you play on stage. And it was pretty much like a live event where they had hosts and casters and everything like that. And then it was broadcast online as well. That's crazy, man. And what about the prize money? I know there's some big money being thrown around in esports nowadays. Were you able to pick any of that up? <laughs> Unfortunately, I didn't get to pick up that much because when I started in esports, it was kind of a budding industry. And like just to put it into perspective, um, one of the last major tournaments I played in, we got top eight and made like fifty thousand. And then the next year was five hundred thousand for the same exact place. Oh no! So. <laughs> I mean, now people are making millions and multi-millions on if you place really highly. And, you know, like a lot of people would wonder, why would you stop playing if the money just went up significantly? And it's just, you know, by that point, I was getting older and a lot more burnt out. And I just couldn't keep the same motivation because I had, like when I was playing, I was playing for passion. I didn't know it was going to turn into what it turned into now. By that point, I kind of reached a lot of my goals because I wanted to compete at the biggest tournament, which was, it's called the International, and they hold it every single year, except for this year because of the pandemic, but um, they hold it every year, and the allure is that every year the prize pool gets bigger and bigger, and the first year they had it was, first place was a million dollars, and now I think first place is like over 20 million Wow! Um, for, for the team that wins, so it's, it grows every single year. That's epic. But like, my goal as a, at the beginning, was just, I want to go to that tournament. I didn't care if I got 16th place or first place. I just wanted to be there. And so once I put everything I had into accomplishing that goal with my team, I just, you know, it's like you fulfill your dream. And then now I wanted something else. Yeah, yeah. I understand that. Man, those are, those are high stakes though. That's, that's incredible. Is it common for pro gamers to transition into trading later on? I mean, it kind of seems like a good fit. I don't know if you've heard of many people doing that. Well, I don't know that many people who trade to begin with. Okay. It seems like a very <laughs> obscure kind of thing. And I, I've i talked to a couple of my friends, but I don't think they're really going to get into it. It's like I, I understand where a lot of poker players come over here because I think they're all about the money. But I think with professional gamers, it's just a very, like, it's full-on passion for them. And a lot of times they get into it when they're pretty young. So they don't really think that far ahead. They just kind of go for the ride. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. So when you did start getting into trading, uh, I'd be quite interested to hear a little bit about your experience from year one. So how did you go during that first year? Yeah, my first year, I was pretty much full time straight away. At least that was my plan because I wanted to, like, I believe that, you know, if you, if you say you've been trading for three years, but you just kind of on and off, like you're, you might not be as experience as somebody who gives it their all every single day for that year because it's about how many hours they're actually putting into it so i was thinking that if i wanted to give us a really good shot i would be going like 14 to 18 hours a day just pushing myself every single day and hopefully i can catch up and just be one of those superstar traders so like you know i looked up to a lot of the traders now that are very successful and i want to be like them i learned very quickly that in the first year 
I had no idea what I was doing because the year prior I, I had been paper trading and you know, when there's no emotions involved, it's really easy to say like, okay, well, I can make $1,000 here. And if I do that every single day, then I'll be really, really well off. And the reality is once you start trading on the broker, there's like, there were so many different things. Like you have to understand the platform. There's liquidity. You can't just get instantly filled and get out immediately. And I realized that a lot of the things I was learning was flawed. So I had to really start over from the basics and figure out what am I doing here? And a lot of times when you first get into trading, you're pretty much a perma long because that's the most obvious thing. And I was attracted to a lot of the short term type of scalping trading because it made a lot more sense to me. And I thought that, you know, other traders, they were up for a lot of risk because of their time horizon. And whereas if you're scalping, you can just book those gains right away and just walk away. And I learned that that was very hard as well for me, super difficult. And I just bought a lot of different education, trying to figure it out and later realized a lot of it was kind of scammy, but I learned one or two things from each of them. Like I was part of these pump and dump chat rooms where like, you know, you, you start to realize that they're kind of moving into different stocks because of momentum, but in a way you're creating the momentum yourself. And once I started to learn why people or why most newbies were looking at certain stocks, it helped me either avoid them or be kind of contrarian to them. And I think that I trade like I short penny stocks now. So, you know, a lot, a lot of times people who short penny stocks, like have that realization at some point that if they just play the opposite side, there's an edge there. And that's kind of, what got me to consistency once I started short selling and then um, what really, really changed everything for me from being a losing trader, just hemorrhaging month after month was learning risk reward and risk management through R multiples. And then also applying like a very special compounding technique, which I developed over and over the years. And like kind of now I can, I feel confident to say since I've been through it, like how somebody who's new to the game could, minimize the risk and also size up and increase the risk in a very systematic way that I feel is very, very good for a new trader. Now, how much did you start out with uh, when you got into trading? Like I know the PDT is uh, kind of a bit of an issue for many traders in the US, uh, you know, retail independent traders. Uh, Was that something you had to, you know, try and get around? Yeah, well, I had... I had just enough from gaming to be over PDT. And so I just put everything I had into it. I think I started around like 30,000 or so. Okay. And what about the losses that you were taking that first year? Were they quite controlled or were you, you know, having sort of blowout losses from time to time? They were kind of all over the place because at some point I realized, well, they were all over the place because initially when I was paper trading, I thought I would just get in with a large amount of shares and get out really quickly and just bank it that way. And then I learned really quickly that I was going to blow my account up doing that. So I sized really, really down. So that even, even when I had a big loss, it was still not that big of a deal. And um, I did have to refund it a couple of times just to stay over PDT. And I just made sure that as long as I could lose like 100, 200 times, 
that I wouldn't hit that $25,000 mark. I've heard you speak in the past, or maybe this was from your blog. Uh, either way, you had mentioned that one of the things you struggled with early on was poor entries and also chasing. And I presume those two probably tie into each other quite well. Can you speak about why that was a struggle for you? Uh, maybe how you went about improving these aspects. And also when you talk about a poor entry, um, you know, how did you, how did you judge what was a poor entry? <laughs> well, yeah, poor entries for me was a lot of chasing and I attribute a lot of that to just overcomplicating how much of the level two that I need to incorporate into my own trading. And because everyone talks about reading the tape and so naturally I wanted to learn and so I was just watching it very intently. And what I realized is that, you know, the tape moves really, very quickly and a lot of times you don't want to miss the trade. So when things start accelerating, you get, it kind of excites you and emotionally I just feel like oh, I'm going to miss it. So I just would slam the bid and just get in immediately compared to letting my order work and wait for the better opportunity. Even though I knew that I was going to get a worse price, I just want to be in the trade at all times because I have kind of a FOMO issue. And I still do today. But the main thing that changed for me and how I developed from that was I I tried all different types of things. Like I use Thinkorswim platform and you can kind of change the colors of the bars and add different types of indicators. So I tried to, I literally tried to black out the bars that I didn't want to be entering on. So I made every candle like red and then the ones I want to enter on, I made them green. So I was hoping that would change things, but it didn't affect me at all. And then eventually what I did was I decided that I want to go full systematic um, in terms of my entry and exit. So I developed a system where once I saw an entry signal for myself, then that was the time to put out an order. And just from backtesting it, I knew that from the point where my entry signal triggered, there would be a sort of a bounce for me to get in as long as I wait for it. And I just started placing those orders day after day. And eventually I would just keep getting filled because, uh, you know, I picked like a modest kind of, I could try to top ticket on the bounce, but instead I just put a modest level where I'm for sure going to get filled. And that helped a lot so that I had more consistency and I could believe in it. And eventually I just built in this full systematic entry criteria and that worked really well for me to fix everything. I'm making a note here to ask you about the systematic part of your trading. Um, so we'll come back to that in just a moment. I would like to ask you though, like how long was it, if we're talking time frame here, how long before you actually did start to gain some consistency and also you know, some confidence in your ability to be able to trade well right it took me a year to finally become consistent but it was with a little bit of money so like I, at that point i was really discovering myself the first year and just learning the rules of the game getting that screen time and then in year two i started to see consistent results and then that was really really working for me and i built a lot of confidence but it didn't really prepare me for some events that had me draw back, like pull back a little bit and draw down. And I actually lost like 50% of my overall gains during a really hot sector with um, cannabis 
because in Canada they were legalizing it and it was a month out. So pretty much every day there was some kind of cannabis sector running and normally they would be good setups for me, but I didn't understand how much of a sector move, sector momentum can influence the trades, even though the stocks were technically garbage, they would still continue to go up and up and up every day, which made me feel like the risk reward was really good and that I didn't want to miss it. So I just kept fighting those and taking losses. And at that point, I realized that it wasn't really about making the money. It was just about protecting it and figuring out how to filter these trades out. And like I really started to hit it off in early 2020 because at the end of year two, I actually blew up my account. So I lost all my profits up to, the, up to that time. And I was very consistent throughout the whole time. So in year three, I set a lot of different systems and rules to protect myself. Like most notably the max loss on the day. I never heard anybody talk about it really, just how to protect yourself from those, these blowups. Because on a lot of the tickers that I had trouble with, the main issue that I had was that I was revenge trading them. And I was getting emotional because I felt like, oh, I'm right, but me being right doesn't mean that I can just ignore price action. And in some situations, I was growing way too large, so I would not accept the losers. And then I started averaging down, and then sometimes I would win, which further made me want to keep doing it, even though I knew it was wrong. And I just read like all these books about how to manage that, and I watched, I read a lot of blogs about how traders dealt with blowups, and Honestly, none of them helped. And eventually, after just thinking about it for months and months and months, I just said the max loss was the only thing that was going to protect me. Because on a lot of these setups, they're good setups. I get, I have the right criteria to get in and everything like that. But it only takes one or two mistakes to lose everything. So once I did that, once I implemented the max loss um, this year, I've never really had a, a big, big loss. And I feel like very, I feel very confident now about my ability to just walk away and understand that I don't want to go through that blow up again. And so now like my, my equity curve is just parabolic, just straight up. And it doesn't, I've been waiting for the pullback and it's just not coming. <laughs> we'll touch wood. <laughs> yeah. Did I hear you correctly when you said that it was towards the end of your second year trading where you, you lost pretty much all your gains? I lost, I lost almost everything. Yeah. So how much money are we talking there? Do you mind sharing? Sure. I, well, at that point, I grew my account from PDT, and I think I lost around around hundred thousand or so. Wow. How did you How did you move forward from that? That must have been quite a setback. Yeah, it was. It was really tough because the part of the reason why it happened too was because I was visiting my um, my fiance's family for Christmas and Thanksgiving and um, I told myself I wasn't going to trade because it's not my environment and you know I ended up just trading anyway because of the FOMO and opportunity cost and all that and then I remember when I was sitting in, in the room and I was my broker was sending me emails about getting margin called and having to refund the account and everything I just Everyone was asleep in the house because it's really early. I didn't want to get on the phone and be like talking to my broker and kind of panicking in front of everyone. And so instead of that, I just froze and 
let it balloon. And then eventually they just started marketing me out at the top of this trade, just completely blew up my account. And I was just, I just turned the computer off and went to sleep. And like when I woke up, I had to, I had to literally act like nothing was wrong for the next two weeks while I was there. (laughs) It was really a terrible thing to go through, but like part of me as a professional gamer, I've gone through really bad things as well where I kind of, I've lost so much that I know how to take a loss and just refocus. And I, I took a little bit of time off to figure out if I wanted to continue or if if this was just a, a dream gone wrong. I decided that ultimately over time that I was doing really well, I can do this. And I think that I think very long term. So I was thinking if I was going to make this into a career, that might not be the biggest setback. I might be able to to come back from this and make a lot more because I know that trading can be very lucrative and I've seen what other people could do. So I just I got lucky in a sense because I didn't have any other options at that time. Like eventually I told my fiance and she was like, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to fund you, you know, if you want to keep trading go work and at that point i didn't have a college degree or anything so it was just like i could uber or work at a starbucks or something like that and i knew just that's just going to take way too long and the potential of trading is high fortunately for me kind of well it's not it's fortunate and unfortunate is like my father passed away towards the end of that year as well and so he left some life insurance money behind and with the blessing of my mom she allowed me to refund my account just to the bare minimum. And from there I took it extremely seriously. Like I, I, I didn't, I couldn't lose at this point. I couldn't afford to lose. I couldn't afford to make mistakes. I set out my business plan. I figured out that, um, instead of letting this account just grow like a high score in a video game where it's like, I want, I want this huge account, you know, why don't I just pay myself consistently? So every time I would go over like, 30,000, 40,000, I would just start wiring out all the surplus and banking it and treating it as a job. And since that point, I've only wired back three times out of 61 times this whole year. And it was like four or $5,000. One of them was a mistake because I had an accounting error. So I've just been treating it like a business, wiring out, not sizing up too badly, keeping those max losses, taking, taking it treating as a professional and just, you know, doing it for my family, doing it for myself and not for superstardom or to be the best trader in the whole world. Well, that's really impressive, man. That's, that's quite the comeback. That must've been just such a blow at the time. Yeah. You've certainly bounced back really well. So good job. I would like to ask you about, and I think this is probably something which a lot of uh, newer traders perhaps struggle with is how did you come to discover your best types of trading opportunities? Like how did you identify an area to hone in on? Yeah, so the way that I backtest is not the same as how people think when they review lots of data and you know a lot of data entry and analysis of that in Excel. I mostly just take it day by day where I will focus on a niche. So in this case, I was focusing on small caps and then I would just take note on a notepad every day of like what fits my criteria, even though I didn't trade it or if I did, 
then I would go back at the end of the day and screenshot the one minute, five minute daily. And then I would just make sure that I noted the day that I ran and everything like that. And then over time, I just kind of discovered the patterns that I kept seeing every single day. And then once I recognized the pattern, I, it was more about maximizing that pattern um, and trying to fit it in terms of risk reward. So I'm always looking for a three to one risk reward at least. And then if once I built that system, I was able to um, make different calculators on Excel where I could figure out like if I enter here, if I risk here and I take my profit here, then this is a good trade. And then I just would constantly go back every single day and apply that system to all the trades for since the very beginning or like a month back. And then eventually I started to, to figure out what's working for me and then how can I maximize these trades. And um, a lot of it was in part due to Twitter. I was able to connect with a lot of different traders who were trading a similar niche. And we kind of built like a brotherhood where we had a small group of people on Discord where and we were just talking about our setups and trying to dr drill into them together. Some people were good at data. Some people were good at reading the tape. Some people were good at volume and stuff like that. And we were collaborating. And eventually, we just kind of figured out what works for each of us. And then, unfortunately, we kind of all grew apart at this point. But during that time, there was a lot of growth because we could take in a lot of information, share a lot of books and resources, a lot of, you know, chat with traders, podcasts, which one's good. And then... <laughs> just discuss it as a team pretty much after hours and pre-market. And then that helped a lot for me to develop personally. I really like that. You know, I get a bunch of emails from people asking me, you know, like who's a good mentor and, you know, what's a good course to buy and all that sort of thing. And I think what you just described there is probably better than all of that. Um, just being able to collaborate with a couple other traders on a similar journey to you, you know, share ideas, bounce, you know, different ideas off each other and and grow together. I think that can be massively helpful as it obviously was for you. Yeah, I think I definitely recommend finding people who are in a similar situation to you. And, you know, sometimes you can, they all say like you can pick someone slightly better than you, someone slightly worse than you, and then you can teach so you learn yourself and then you can learn from the better trader. And a lot of the people that I was friends with back then, now they're really great traders today. And it's cool seeing how everyone goes in different directions. But the friendship that we have is really strong. And, you know, even though they're in different places, like sometimes we can talk about what, what they've learned and what I've learned and just kind of share that moving forward. So we're kind of like growing together at the same time. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. 
Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Brian, would you be able to actually talk through one setup in particular, like your your most frequently traded setup, kind of your bread and butter go-to play? Okay. I love trading stocks that are trash pretty much with dilution. So most penny stocks in North America, I'm not sure about around the world, are relatively greedy companies that need money. Um, so you can check on their burn rate uh, monthly for cash. And a lot of times you'll know that they need capital very badly. So they'll start diluting. And in order to give themselves a premium on that, they'll release some kind of bogus PR and get people excited. Sometimes they'll take advantage of um, sector momentum. For example, I saw once when cannabis was running, there was like this cigar company that just all of a sudden said they're doing like weed stuff where I saw, no, I think it was this, no, it was actually more ridiculous. It was a cigar company saying that they had blockchain technology <laughs> and their stock ran up like multiple days. And so, you know, whenever you know there's trash that they're manipulating and that they have dilution and they have a very, you know, they need capital badly, then you can anticipate there's going to be a supply demand imbalance. And so I look to take a contrarian approach to those by sh- like counter trend trading. So I'll, I'll try to scale into the front side of these moves and then add into it as it starts confirming that's going to start fading and that they're going to start unloading supply. And usually I'll fade that in a mean reversion sort of style. So I just kind of, in my style, I have a systematic entry and then my exit would be based on what I consider the mean. So you can pick You can really pick anything as what you want for mean. Some people use VWAP, some people use moving averages, some people use um, daily levels, et cetera. And then once you've determined that, you just run that scenario over and over again. And it's really mostly about fundamentals and pattern recognition. It doesn't come around that often where it's just my A++ setup where they have fresh dilution that you know they're going to use. A lot of times they um, they run them up and they know shorts are interested. So they'll start blowing through high day constantly and just making people get squeezed. And occasionally there'll be a, a haymaker type of situation where they're just going to run it up thousands of percentages and people are going to get mar- margin called. And I know that situation because I've been in it. And... Um, to me, really, trading is not really about like you have your pattern, but and you want to maximize your pattern to have the maximal profit, adding to winners, etc. But at the end of the day, a lot of people who trade this particular strategy, they have no max losses, they have revenge trading, they have emotional trading, and then they end up losing tons of profits in just that one or two plays, and then they just get reset to zero or they just can't trade anymore. Yeah, it's easy to get your face ripped off if your risk management's sloppy. 
Can you talk to why dilution is so important with this uh, with this type of play you've described? Yeah, because in trading, if you just break it down to supply and demand, at some point, if you know there's overhead supply, it's going to cause the stock to just fade because um, you know there's no one else left to buy it. And a lot of times, these stocks are very broken. So if you look at the daily charts, they're just downtrending for years and years and years. And you know that not only is there going to be supply from dilution, but there's also going to be people who have been bag holding these stocks who want to get out for break even or just minimize their loss or they just give up over time. And, you know, just knowing that these companies are very toxic from their, by their nature, it helps to identify that there's an edge there. And, um, one way you can kind of tell is that in the stock side trade, a lot of the, um, people doing the deals in the background, the underwriters for that dilution, you'll see the same names come up over and over again. And you can start to identify like, Hey, I've seen this guy dilute. And usually when they are doing it, they have a certain style. And so you can kind of figure out which ones are going to be really toxic to the shareholders and which ones are actually going to be a little bit harder to trade. With these types of plays, are there any variables that contribute to a higher probability trade? Definitely when you, you want to see those broken charts where pretty much every time that it spikes up, it gives back most of its gains. Or that I like to, I like to say like the cat's out of the bag where maybe the first time it ran, it went super parabolic. But now that it's faded back and mean reverted, the next time it bounces, well, they, some people call it bounce short because it's bouncing up into the prior levels. And once it bounces up, you know, when people look at that, they, they understand that beforehand the setup failed. So it's more likely to fail. It's not going to be that next unicorn stock so it helps um, to discourage people from bidding it up to extreme levels and so there's an edge for short sellers where you kind of know that the sentiment is in your favor so when you're trading these types of plays how do you do so in a systematic way like what are some of the rules that you have in place that removes some of the you know excessive need for decision making to get you into these trades on my excel i have a calculator where i'll input different price points that i'm interested in so it might be hive day and then i have my price target of course and then i can calculate kind of where i want to enter for an optimal risk reward where i'm not risking too tight but i'm also not risking too wide i base my entries on trigger so I use a couple of different indicators where I customize it myself to kind of fit the patterns. And then once I get it, once I get a signal, it's pretty much just put the order out right away. And the reason why I can trust it, why I have confidence is because I've back tested those signals over years of, of trades just because I have all those screenshots that I saved and then I'll just bring up my chart and I'll input all my different indicators on it and then i'll just flip through them and i'll see like oh it worked here oh it didn't work here it worked here and then i slowly just tuned it to the values that works for me and that has been a big 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 uh helping point for me 
in terms of systematizing my entry and exit. And just because because I'm backtesting it that way, it's like I'm just gaining experience as I'm doing that, and it builds that confidence for me to just hit the button. But I think the the main reason why everything works out in the end is because I'm really good at maximizing the moves. So I'm a very I'm a very patient trader, and like my win rate is very very low. It's like at this point twenty six percent or so, just on a per trade basis because I'm cutting a lot of starters. But whenever I win, my average winner is is around six. So that means sometimes I'll have ten, fifteen or whatever. And when you have such when when I emphasize risk reward, and I take the edge away from just having a high win percentage, it helps me feel more comfortable to just take the trades without any emotion. Because I know that I can be profitable with a very low win rate as long as my as long as my average winner is just exponentially greater than my average loser. And that's that's what's giving me the most edge is because I don't treat I don't look at a stock and say, oh, this is going to be the one that makes my year. I just look at it as a drop in the bucket as a series of trades. And every single trade, if I if I lose and I lose and if I win, then it's going to be a big one. And then over time, I just know that from the math, from all the statistics about it, it, it's just Lone Stock Trader has a really good blog on Twitter where he talks about how to make it impossible not to consistently make money. And a lot of it has to do with risk reward. So I'm not concerned as much with win rate. And as long as I have a good risk, then I feel confident that I'll just keep growing and growing. We're definitely going to spend some time on this uh, risk model of yours in just a moment. I'm not sure if I, maybe I didn't catch it, but how do you actually generate these systematic signals for where you, let's just focus on the entry for the moment. Um, How do you actually generate these systematic signals for where to enter into these these types of plays right yeah so it's pretty much just from it's it's from the indicators so i have custom indicators which I, i'm not going to share but basically if you th- if you throw on any indicator or you can throw on several indicators really on a chart and just go over every single stock that fits your criteria so every day as i'm writing these notes of all the tickers that I potentially want to trade that's building a database of stocks that fit that criteria that I'm looking for. So I know that in the future, as long as I have a large enough sample size of those trades, if I input the same indicator on those new trades, it's likely to work as well. And it doesn't have to work a lot of the time. It only has to work more than 50% of the time. So that takes a lot of the burden away from me for finding like a super, super amazing entry. The way I did it really was just, you think about what the average person learns when they're trading, right? So I, when I learned trading, a lot of people were using different indicators like RSI, MACD, simple moving averages, exponential, right? And so what I did was I tuned indicators that I know people use, and I either tuned it to be slightly faster, more aggressive, or slower, depending on the situation. And in that way, I'm kind of countering the average mentality. So the average trader is going to look at something, and I'm, if I'm that much faster than them, just by just by a little bit, I'm going to have an edge on that trade because I know what they're looking for. 
Would you say you're a lot more dependent on these indicators and custom indicators that you've developed uh, as opposed to level two and reading the tape, et cetera? Yeah, I don't, I don't actually have to read the level two or anything when I'm trading because once I enter the trade, I set my stop and then that's it till my price target. So, you know, over time, of course, I've picked up things just from watching my screen and it does help in a lot of ways. Sometimes there's like this discretionary um, approach that you can kind of input into the systematized approach where you can identify whether there might be a buyer or seller and you can prematurely exit the trade because you identify something. Um, that does come into play sometimes. But overall, if I wanted to, I, I don't have to look at it at all. Okay, that's interesting. Well, on that note, let's get into your risk model. Let's really dissect this. So uh, you use the concept of R. Um, can you just briefly explain what is R for anyone who's unfamiliar with the, the, the subject? Yeah. R is just how much money you want to risk per trade if you lose. So if you set your stop and you want to lose $100, you have to position size your share count so that once it breaches that level when you cut, you lose that exact amount of money that you chose, um, give or take slippage or whatnot. But this helps to normalize your trade outcome so that every single time you lose, you know how much your average loser will be so that you can focus on how much your average winner is going to be. And a lot of times people choose a safe number such as 1% of your overall account. Um, in my case, I couldn't choose 1% because if you're trading for PDT and you have a $25,000 account, you risk 1%, it'll be easy to fall below. So you have to choose a slightly lower number. Sometimes you have to kind of, the, the trick that I tell people is that what you, what you do is if you're in that situation is you, you make a number out of thin air, like 10,000, and you take 1% of that. And then you you grow that number. So in terms of R, I just you want to lose a certain amount of money per trade and keep it normal. That's that's about it for R. So how do you measure a unit of R yourself nowadays? Like is that based on a percentage of your account or how does that work? Well, initially I was compounding my account. So every single day I would take one per so if I had ten thousand dollars as my um, imaginary like account value and took 1% of that, then if I made a profit or loss on the next day, I would just take 1% of that number. So it would go up or down. And then eventually I got to the point where I learned that um, initially from blowing up, like my compound grew too large for my account size and it was just getting really ridiculous in terms of slippage and everything. And, that, and because when you have a high risk reward, like if you have three to six average winner, it's very easy to start skipping R's like in a natural way. So like if you're risking a thousand dollars, sometimes the next jump might go to like a thousand two hundred, thousand five hundred. And then on top of that, I was winning some trades where I averaged down. And so I was making a lot more. And then I continued to take my R percent of the account from those gains that were outside. So they would increase the R way too much way too dramatically. So I learned that what you have to do is you compound your account until a number that you feel is uncomfortable, but you want to be at. So for a lot of people, you just pick a whole number 
And then you just work towards that with your compound. And then eventually what I call is I call it a freeze. So you, you freeze at that point and then you give yourself a good amount of time, like a month, two months, three months. And once you get used to that level, I just bump it up to the next logical level. Like if you go from a thousand to a thousand, a hundred, thousand, two hundred, or you can go up whatever increments you want, whatever feels good to you. I think compounding works really well in the beginning, just so that as you're growing, as you're learning, you have like a real-time reflection of how, of your performance and you're also scaling your risk down when you're losing, but you're also scaling your risk up when you're winning. And so it makes it easier to get to your goal. And then once you get to your goal, a lot of times you don't really need to push it that much because you have to get used to seeing the numbers. You have to get used to seeing how much you make, how much you lose, and really like make that part of your identity. And one of my good friends is a, he works for a fund and he's a manager there. He's been training for 20 years. He told me that you have to let your, you have to see your bank account. You have to see the gains and you have to feel like you deserve it. Cause a lot of times when I was growing, I was like, Oh man, this is a lot of money for me. Or that's a lot, a lot of money to lose. And I was uncomfortable with it, but I kept growing despite that. And that's what caused me to have those emotional issues where I was revenge trading and whatnot. So like I learned to just find the level that you're comfortable trading for a while. And then once you feel like you've accepted that as your new, that's your new paycheck, that's your new life, you know, everything like that, that's when you can move on to the next level. So that's what I've been doing. So do you trade the same dollar value of risk on each trade? You know, I know some traders when they they feel like they see something which is a good opportunity, they might hit that a little harder. How do you treat that type of scenario? Yeah, if if there's a setup that I'm really confident in, my A plus setup, then I will I will double down on it. Um, I'm not sure how much I want to push it, but for the moment, I've been going two XIs on that. But for most of the trades, I I do keep it the same because I find that. When you see a lesser setup and you say, hey, I'm going to risk less money on it, when you win, you're not going to feel that great about it when you win. And when you lose, sometimes, I mean, sometimes you want to just add on those shares. Um, or when you're winning, sometimes you just want to add those shares on to get your normal size, but then you add it at a later stage and it screws up your whole trade. Right. Or like when you when you lose, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what you learn from it really. Like it, I would rather lose all everything that I'm risking so that next, when I review it, I can say, okay, this is just a trade. I should just avoid in the future, not trade it because I feel like it. And I feel like that will have a better impact on your bottom line. Cause for me, I think the problem with a lot of traders when they're starting out is that they, um, they vary their size so much and they have very inconsistent results as with that. Because like, if you let's say you you took a big loss and then you say okay the next day i'm going to size down then it will take you so much longer to make back that loss and even if you trade well you're going to have that emotional component of like i'm down this much whereas like when i trade even if i take a black swan event like if i lose 10r on a trade and say it got halted or it just spiked past my risk or i got emotional then with a three to one risk reward, I know I can make that back in three trades. At this point, I have six to one risk reward, so I can make it back in two trades, even if in the worst case of, of scenarios. So 
for me, I'm not really concerned about losing. I'm more concerned about winning big. And so adding to winners is good because you're not, you're not, um, it's a lot more hesitant to go double size. So you're going to really want that setup to be a great setup. And so like, I don't find myself feeling tempted to always size into things. I just, if I think it's a really good setup for me, then I'll double down on it and I'll just take that risk. Cause worst case scenario, you'll, you'll take minus two R, right? Minus two R, you make that back in one trade. It's fine. Even if I get maxed out on the, on the trade, like if I lose minus six, minus eight R, I'll make that back in two trades. So, but if I win, sometimes I'll make 12. And, and in some cases I made like 20 R in the trade. So I know that that's going to really set me ahead. Cause if you make 20 R, then that basically means that the next 20 trades you take, if you, if you lose one R every time, you could lose 20 times just to wipe out that game. So for me, it's just about pulling ahead and keeping myself ahead and just normalizing every single trade as much as I can. It's just a drop in a bucket in a series for me. Right. So you're not really someone who's going to put on like a smaller starter position with the intention of adding to your full R size, you know, if it starts to play out. That's what, that, that is what I do. I actually, oh, okay. I start in really small. So in my system, what I have is basically, I have a starter position. So it's like a aggressive signal that is very iffy. I mean, in terms of it's not always going to work, but I, I want it to work very quickly. And if it does confirm in my price action, then it'll, I'll also have a second secondary signal that says, okay, now you go full size. And then I also have another signal that tells me like, okay, add to this winner. Cause I'm, I'm more or less like trading the trend um, on kind of like a meaner version type of fader setup. So as long as it starts to work for me, I can keep adding into it and lowering my risk. And that's what really helps you get that really great risk reward. Because what I learned is that if you put a starter on and you cut it for like 0.5 or something like that, you're not going to really care about that position because you know that when you win you're going to make so much more and so once i put my feeler into the into the trade i'm a lot more zoned in more focused and i can read it a lot better but it's not enough it, i'm not sizing enough where i get emotional about the setup if, if it goes against me i just it's whatever i just cut it when you're using this type of risk model i just want to ask you about stops and and taking small losses here if you see something in the tape that you don't like I know tape reading is not a big part of what you do, but if there's something you notice, uh, are you willing to stop out on that trade before you reach that your initial stop level? In in the beginning, yes. So when I when I first put on the trade, I know that since I'm trading counter trend, it's very dangerous. So I do look for situations like that, and I'm kind of. I'm very rigid in how I approach the market. So like at one point in time, I was like stop or target only. And so I would consistently take the loss I intended to, and I would not take any partials on the way to my, to my profit target. And then eventually I learned that, you know, once you get more advanced, you start to recognize areas that you can optimize. So you can sometimes see when a trade's going to go against you sooner. And I'm, I'm pretty much developing that skill at the moment where I want to be able to, to exit the trade for a smaller loss. And that a lot of times that's not systematic at all. It's a lot of times it's what I'm seeing. And I've just 
gained enough experience where I know where something just doesn't look right. And I can always just add it back on, so it's okay. But I think that that's kind of where I'm headed in my journey right now, just figuring out where I can make these discretionary takes in my systematic entry and exit criteria to just boost my stats up a little bit more and protect my capital. A little earlier, you said that you have quite a low win rate. You know, it can be mid 20%. How many times are you going to try hitting one stock before admitting defeat? Well, ideally, ideally, it's when you notice that the pattern is broken. So for me, I know that there's a certain time of day where if it's, you know, if I'm trading counter trend and it's continuing to push higher in the middle of the day, then there's obviously somebody willing to buy it and I'm more than likely wrong at that point. So I just know that from my own experience, but I treat it more about my risk reward. So when I was trading earlier with three to one risk reward, I would give myself two, two attempts because I felt that if I couldn't nail it within two attempts, then I'm probably wrong anyway. But also if you have a three R win, but you lost 2R, then you're profitable. And the reason why I don't do 3R is because if I lost 3R and I and then I won 3R, then I have fees and locates and everything like that. So it's not truly break-even, and that I felt could have an emotional pull. So pretty much as far as it scales with my risk reward. So if I think that I'm going to make 6 to 1 on a trade, then I'll give myself 5 attempts or so in terms of minus 5R. And it's but it's a lot. Um, I have a lot more attempts because I put on starter positions that where I can lose minus 0.5 or less. So as long as I keep it beneath that, it's fine. Because there is a relationship between win rate and risk reward where I was really, really focused on growing my reward, but your risk reward is going to go lower. And as a result, because you're going to have to take tighter stops and you're going to take more risks adding to the winner and everything like that. And I know that if I... I know that if I had a lower risk reward, I would have a higher win rate. But I actually, I actually prefer to lose more and win bigger because it helps me maximize each trade. And I feel that it's a lot easier to come back from losses. And the way to you know, really hone in on that is to backtest your signals and just get them as good as possible so that you know that there's a pretty high probability when you get a trigger that's going to work. And um, the reason why... In my case, you know, you might say like, oh, you know, if you're losing so much, then maybe your signals aren't so good. Well, it's because there's a lot of manipulation in this uh, in penny stocks. So a lot of times I can see that like with my signals, I can see that they're breaking in an unnatural way. And I kind of just call that I call that divergence where it's more than likely going to pull back, but I have to just respect my risk and I'm more focused on cutting the trade and adding it back later than trying to be convicted of my signal. So I'm just really, I'm willing to let trades fly by and just cut my risk um, whenever I see something wrong. So it en- it ends up being where, you know, because I'm very aggressive on my trades, I'm, like I have a lot of FOMO, I'd rather be in the trade than miss it. And as a result, I get in a lot of situations where I, I'll just have to cut it because um, I might have jumped the signal or my signal is just, I'm using that slightly aggressive signal, which is not confirmation. My confirmation would be more like my second signal. So if I, at some point in the future, I might decide that 
pushing risk reward is not worth it. I think there's a di- diminishing return for sure. And I might level out going back to an average risk reward with a like a like a four or five and increase my win rate just so that I have more gains. I think there is a way to test that statistically. And I'm just right now I'm just pushing my limits and figuring out like how far I can go with this. Going into a trade, what's going to make you think that okay, on this particular situation right here, I have the potential for a three to one or I have the potential for a six to one. What different things, what factors are going to make you think you have different uh, risk to reward uh, opportunities at hand? So if it's, my strategy is mean reversion. So a lot of times you'll, the higher something goes from the meat, the more meat on the bone there is, which is always one good indicator. You know, there's no ATR in, in, in small caps, so you kind of have to make your own. And I kind of build my own way to see the average true range of a stock based on the price and what percentage it's at. So I can break that down into different like levels, kind of kind of like a Fibonacci, I guess you could say. And based on that, you know, there I'll be able to risk the right amount to where if it reaches my target in terms of mean reversion it'll be at least a three to one. I know one of the traders you interviewed, I think I shared on my Twitter the other day. I think it was... Uh, Anthony, Anthony Riley. Yeah, I think he does a very similar thing to me where you kind of revert it based on how much range there is and you can kind of break it down to different percentages so that I know that like, I can risk a certain amount and if it reaches my price target, it'll be a, a good winner and it's like it's apt for the price ranges. That's not too, it's not too tight. It's not too wide. It's just like a systematic number I can use. Okay. Now, I think you kind of uh, spoke about this a little bit earlier, but I'm just going to ask you to perhaps share a little more detail on it. Are you taking the trade off only when it hits your predetermined price target or how do you begin to scale out of it? Yeah, I do. I, I wait until my price target and... Sometimes I'll miss it. Sometimes I'll get a little greedy. And I've just developed ways to figure out, you know, it's very common sense. I mean, if if something is about to hit your price target and it just barely misses, and then I have a rule in my head where I, I say it's it's good enough, like it's it's close enough to my price target. I don't have to be on the dot with it and I'll just take it off there. Or you notice certain trend reversal type situations or if I'm shorting it and I see higher lows and higher highs, or if it'll cross above like a moving average or something like this, then I know the trend might be broken. And in those situations, I'll take it off. But more or less, I do wait for my price target every time because, you know, I'm in it to to revert to the mean. I'm not in it to take it partials on the way down. And I know that eventually that, um, that style might not be the best for liquidity reasons. And in a, in a lot of ways, uh, to maximize these trades, you'll have to be recycling and um, constantly taking it off and adding it back. And I'm working towards that. But as a trader, I kind of know my own limitations where I've had issues with entries and I've had issues with chasing. So I don't fully believe that I'm able to execute that strategy right now. So what I'm doing is I'm just waiting to my price target and that helps me just stay disciplined compared to constantly lowering my risk or constantly executing and having decision fatigue and putting myself in a position where 
I might not be fully like aware of what's happening in the trade because the more entries, the more exits you put in the trade, the more you know factors play into your risk. And I'd rather just have my stop at a set location so I know exactly where I need to get out, where I lose exactly what I'm willing to risk, and have my price target, which I know from backtesting hits the majority of the time. So for me, it's not a big deal because I'm backtesting and I understand how my patterns play out and what are the odds really. Okay, so let's say you, you're you short a stock, it's had a massive run up, you've caught the backside, it's, it's, you know, it's drifting down. If it doesn't reach your price target or the mean value that you've determined by the end of the day, are you going to consider holding that position overnight to try and catch maybe that price on the, the second day? Currently, I don't. I know I might eventually get into it, but a lot of the reasons why is because the fees are really crazy. At some at some brokers, you pay seven times the short or the locate cost overnight plus interest fees, and a lot of times it's very ambiguous what, what those interest fees are. Okay. And so there's a lot of unknown things, and as well as when you hold overnight, there's different events that can happen or different gaps up and down, and a lot of times it's just too much risk. I'd rather come to each day reset at the moment and just ready to execute. Sometimes like it doesn't hit your price target and then it will the next day just for no reason. And that's frustrating to see. But at the same time, I, I can sleep fine at night because I don't have to worry about anything. It's all, all fresh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a big part of it. <laughs> just a couple last questions, Brian. Moving away from risk here. You're, well, maybe it is tied in still. Your monthly PL has scaled as of late. You know, if we look at your stats, etc. What factors do you contribute to this? Just setting goals. So from one after the after the year that I blew up, I pretty much dedicated the next year to treating this as a business and being very modest with my risk. So that entire time I was scaled down way back from where I was. And because I had no other choice. And as a result, I just set little milestones for myself. Like if I can work towards this risk level, then that'll be great for me. And it just happened that my dream risk level coincided with January, 2020, where I finally hit it from compounding my account up and up and up. I finally hit the risk level that I wanted this entire time. And that's when I started to see like really good results. And after I, after I did that, I started fulfilling other goals that I set. So I said that I wanted to increase my average reward from three to four to five to six. And so I was constantly backtesting systems and ways to do that. And eventually, basically every month I've, I've increased my R by one this year. And I'm starting to get to the point where I feel like it's getting redundant. But during that process, I was just constantly improving while the market was hot and giving a lot of opportunities. But I feel even the even if the market wasn't as hot as it was, it was kind of more about myself because I'm really focused on how I can improve as a trader compared to anything else. So when I set those long-term goals for myself, those milestones, it, it always gave me something to work towards. And I always knew that eventually if I hit those points that I would just start achieving the results that I want. I just thought of something when you were talking there um, you know how you said that you wanted to go from a three to one to a four to one risk reward 
for an average trade. When you're doing that, and I think this is something that maybe someone who's new to this concept or this way of thinking might do, is if they're looking at something and they're saying, you know, I can get in here, I can put a stop here, that's one R, but it looks like I can realistically maybe only get two R reward out of this trade. They may just tighten that, uh, the risk on that trade a little bit so that the proportions are th- become three to one. Does that make sense? So they pull in that stop. Yeah. Um, can you just talk to that? Um, is that something you'll ever do? Is that something that you'd uh, caution newer traders from doing? Um, yeah, how do you think about that part of it? Yes, I would. I would caution some traders because a lot of people look at the results that I post and they feel that it's very achievable, but it's a, it's a lot of hard work to hold a stock. I mean, I'll, I'm holding a stock for many hours and for some people, their time horizons is just a couple minutes. And let's say if you're, if you're scalping for a couple seconds or minutes, if you put on such a tight risk, um, you can make a lot of money really quickly. And if you hold, you'll make a lot of money too. But if you put on too tight a risk, you're, gonna constantly be stopped out so in those cases i wouldn't recommend it at all i recommend it more for if you're if you're kind of trend trading where you're willing to sit through a lot of price action and so there's a lot of range like you're not forcing the range you're just taking advantage of the range like a lot of times when i end up covering i'm covering towards the the bottom like 10 percent of the you know the low of the day so it's very easy for me to capture most of the move and to capture that risk reward and constantly add to the winner as it's working. But you know, if you're on a short time horizon, it's gonna be very, very difficult. The main way to achieve a good risk reward is to scale into a trade as it's working. And you know, you can't do that if you're only able to get in like very precise moments. And I also think that you have to consider the range of the stock. So if a stock is trading at five dollars then you know 10 cents of volatility is not not that much but you know if you're trading tesla or something in the 500s and you can't put on 10 cents of risk like you'll you'll get blown out in a second and the main issue with that is once it breaches your risk if you get in that fight or flight or freeze mode and you end up being fearful because you don't want to lose as much money as you are in that moment it's going to lead to you kind of blowing up your account or at least taking a big fat loss and that could lead to a lot of emotional issues where you know you want to make it back and then it just starts snowballing for there so you really have to make sure that your strategy kind of fits the model where you can add into winners because tight i don't have tight risk like i start on with a very wide risk but i have a wide price target and then i tighten the risk as it's working in my favor i'm not putting on a tight risk and waiting so i think it's super dangerous for people if, if you have the wrong strategy for that movement. Unless you have a really sick entry signal that has a very nice win rate, then I've seen people doing tight risk like that. But personally, I don't. I couldn't do that because it. I think it would be very emotional. Right, Brian. Let me ask you one last question, and then we'll call it a wrap. Three things you would go back and tell yourself on day one, knowing what you know now. Hmm. Number one would be max loss. Just set it with your broker because you have to have that fail safe 
as a as if you're a retail trader and you're just responsible for yourself, you need that moment where you get rejected on the level two, and you have to take a, a breather and recognize this isn't healthy. Whereas, like if you don't have that, you would, you might just fight the stock all day, and I think that's what causes most people to actually get killed. The other thing is, I would focus on systematizing my entry and exit because I feel that you know if you can create a very simple entry and exit trigger, then you can apply that to backtesting. You can apply that to just optimizing that and making it as good as it can be. And that way, you don't have to deal with those emotional components of being afraid or having random results. And that way you can really measure where you're going and how you're going to improve. And then the third thing would be, let's see, I would focus on risk reward and make sure that I normalize my risk. Keep a small, small R at the beginning and it's all about the process and it's less about the result because if you trade well the results will follow and you need to give yourself enough time to make all the mistakes you made and i would say if i if i think about it in terms of a if i think about the journey at least how it was for me the first year you're going to flounder around and not know what you're doing and there's going to be situations that you didn't account for like sometimes the brokers have errors sometimes you know, there's all this type of random things like your power goes out, whatever. How are you going to react to that? You can't be sized in so big that you can't deal with an emergency situation. And then in year two, you might find something that you like, something that you can stick to. Stick to that and grow that consistently. And then I think once you hit that third year, it's just whatever it is, all my peers, all the people I grew up with in trading, once they hit that third year where they were consistent and they start scaling up, that's when a lot of them really hit their stride and you know for all the pain that you go through once you can get to that point it's all worth it it's really all worth it and the money that you lose now and in the meantime is just not going to be significant towards compared to what you you will make in the future as long as you just give yourself enough time to experience the market and experience all the mistakes that you need to make so that you can learn and be your best trader excellent brian well it's been awesome to speak with you and it's really impressive to see what you've been able to achieve. And uh, I think it's maybe coming up four years that you've been trading full time now. I think it's like three. Three? Okay. Almost. Well, even better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's awesome, man. And, and well done on your comeback. I think that was, that was great that you could share that earlier on. Um, I know you have a blog, which you have some really detailed posts on, and you also have a couple videos on YouTube um, and you're quite active on Twitter. I know there's going to be some people listening who would love to check all of that out. Um, do you want to share where to go? Yeah, just follow me on Twitter at Brian Lee Trades. And this, it's the same on YouTube. And pretty much if you go to my Twitter, I'll have everything linked in the pin post. So you should be able to find everything that you need to find including the blogs, which I highly recommend. Um, I'm a lot better of a writer than I am a speaker. So I think you'll really, really enjoy those posts. A lot of people really love those. And I'm speaking from the heart there. I talk about a lot of things that led to my success today. And I hope that 
that's something that you can use as a resource to grow on your own journey. Absolutely. And I'll put those links in the show notes as per usual as well. Easy for anyone to find. Brian, absolutely awesome speaking with you and I'd love to do it again sometime. Thanks, Aaron. I'd love that. All right. Thanks a lot, man. We'll call it a wrap. You've reached the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but rest assured there are more episodes loaded with real market insight and zero hype on the way soon. So to stay updated with each great new release, subscribe to the podcast and iTunes, and we'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next time on Chat with Traders. Chat with Traders.